Go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 21 and read to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. But now the, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, upon all, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption of those in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. <clears throat> so I've titled the message this morning, The Righteousness of God Manifested, taken there from verse 21. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege of ours to open thy precious word, and I pray that the Spirit of God will work in our hearts this morning for our good and thy glory. And Lord, I pray there be any in our midst who have never repented or lack assurance, have questions about their salvation. I pray the Spirit of God will work in their hearts and bring repentance through faith and rest in the word of God and his promises. Just deal in our hearts, have your way, will and way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the book of Romans clearly demonstrates in the first three chapters that a, a man's condition and how he measures up to his creator, God. Uh, <clears throat> Paul says in you know, chapter 2, Thou art therefore inexcusable, O man. <laughs> and of course, here in chapter 3 in verse 19, he said, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. See, the God's law was given to measure us, not given to justify us or to make us righteous. It wasn't given to save us. It was given to measure us. And show us who we really are before a righteous and holy God. You know, see, we, when, we, when we look at the law, we're comparing ourselves with God. 
because it's God's standard. And, of course, when it measures us, the verdict is we're guilty. We're condemned. And, of course, the conclusion is summed up with the four Roman nuns (laughs) in, in chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. You know, there's none righteous. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. So you have four Roman nuns, but they're not in the Roman Catholic Church. Excuse me. But that's the conclusion that God gives us of man. So it reveals, the law reveals the reality of our position before God. But we see here also the righteousness of God manifested to us. And I... I'm going to give you seven things from this chapter, and, and I don't think they're going to be too long. Each, you know, but I don't really have any subpoints, so so that's good. But anyway, I know dinner's in the oven. So anyway, first of all, we see righteousness manifested in verse 21. It says, "For now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's manifested. That is that righteousness." You know, without keeping the law, for we cannot keep the law, it's been manifested to us, been revealed to us, how we can be righteous and yet guilty. And, of course, that righteousness is manifested to us in a person. It's in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is made of God, who, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, he is right, he, he is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of him, the righteousness of God in him. See, the righteousness of God is manifest to us in a person, that's Lord Jesus Christ. You know, man's problem is he needs to be made right. That's his problem. That's the problem of the whole world. Man needs to be made right. If you'd straighten man out, you'd straighten out the world. You've probably all heard the story of the puzzle that the guy gives to his child. You know, and... And, 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 and the idea was if, he'd, if he put the man together, the world would be together. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but, but that's the problem with the world. You know, the world's problem will be solved when the righteous one rules and reigns in the hearts of mankind or rules and reigns over mankind. Of course, that one day will, will be brought to pass during the, the millennial reign of Christ. Now, Philippians 1.11 says, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by... Christ Jesus, under the glory and praise of God. So this righteousness manifested is in a person. This righteousness was also witnessed to, if you notice again at the end of verse 2, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this righteousness is not something new. You know, it wasn't invented or introduced by the Apostle Paul. You know, it was expounded on by him, but he didn't introduce it. It was witnessed by or spoken of by the law and the prophets in you know, all the books in between. Remember Jesus said in Luke 24, 44, he said unto them, you know, he, was, he, was with, he met up with the two that were on the road to Emmaus, and, and they were talking about how Jesus had died, and, and they were lamenting all this. And, he, and then he says to them uh, in Luke 24, 44, 
And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Actually, that was what he meeting with the disciples after that. Uh, so, th- you know, he was spoken of, this righteousness that has been made plain or revealed to us in the person of Christ was witnessed to or spoken of by the law and the prophets and the Psalms. The Old Testament speaks about him. For example, Deuteronomy 8.15, Moses said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and him shall ye hearken. In Psalm 27, verse, or Psalm 2, verse 7, he said, I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Psalm 22, of course, speaks of the, the, the crucifixion of Christ. In verses 7 and 8, it says, All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusts in the Lord that he will deliver him. Let him deliver him, see him, he delighted in him. In verses 14, it says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue gleaveth in my jaws. Thou hast brought me under the dust of death. Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23 says, The stone which the builders refused become the headstone of the corner. Speaking, of course, of Christ, though whom they refused. He says, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Of course, Isaiah and the prophets, the prophets speak of him. Isaiah 7, 14, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Chapter 9, verse 6, A, a child is given. A, a child is born, a son is given. Uh, you know, and it goes on and on. You know, there, there, is, there is prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about Christ in the, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42 talks about him ministering to the Gentiles. And, of course, Isaiah 53 talks about his suffering for our sin. Daniel 9, 24 to 26, tells us the time of his coming. Micah tells us the place of his birth. Micah 5, 2, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Speaking about the place of Christ's birth. Psalm 16.10 talks about his resurrection. It says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You see, this righteousness manifested in a person, Jesus Christ, was witnessed to long before it was ever made plain. From the law, from Genesis chapter 3. Lee Strobel says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested event of the ancient world. Unquote. One writer said that is very strong language considers Strobel's credentials. Strobel was educated at law school, a Yale law school, worked as a legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, I wouldn't say that's really a conservative newspaper, and was an atheist until 1981. Struble is not a guy who can be easily accused of drinking the Christian Kool-Aid. He has credibility as one who doubted and opposed the story of Jesus Christ. See, it's well attested to, witnessed by the law and the prophets. Let's notice a third thing here. We see that this righteousness can be obtained. Notice in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe, 
for there is no difference. Now, this righteousness, it says, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Now, righteousness, this righteousness obtained is not an emotional feeling or subject to some experience that I have or you have. It's more than that. Go to, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> you know, it's sad, but too many people base their salvation on some feeling or some emotional experience they may have had. And they may have had an experience. Salvation. The Word of God does that. First uh, Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, verse sixteen, says, "For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His Majesty." In other words, Paul, you know, Peter's talking about the experience he had in the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, "For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased.' And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount." We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn, and day star rise in your hearts. You see, Peter says we have something more certain than your feelings, more certain than an experience that you have. We have a more sure word of prophecy that you need to take heed to. It's not just an intellectual assent or an, oh, I know that and I agree it's true. You know, the Pharisees knew who he was. They knew who he was. And there's an interesting statement Judas makes. You know, the Bible's very, the wording is very specific. And I never noticed this before. I've often quoted the verse, Judas said, I betrayed innocent blood. It doesn't say that. It said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. See, Judas understood that he had betrayed the sinless one. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't guilty of crime. He had betrayed one who had never sinned. Judas knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the son of God. Judas died and went to hell. He knew about Jesus. But he never surrendered his life, his will. See, it's not something I can work for, or, and it's not something I can work for or earn. You know, again, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made Again, the idea here is we are by some force or something other than ourselves made righteous. It's not of ourselves. It's by something else outside our own power. And we are made righteous in him. Uh, Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And, of course, our passage here says in verse 22, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. It is by faith. That word faith there means a conviction of the truth of anything, belief in the New Testament of a conviction, or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. So, again, it simply is the idea that I have put my trust, my dependence on him. I'm just depending on him. You know, when we went to, left for Taiwan in February, we were flying over the Pacific Ocean. Now, my wife didn't tell me this until later, but she was very nervous. She said she wasn't nervous flying from here to California. We're over land. But she was very nervous flying over that Pacific Ocean. I'm not sure why that is, because I think if we crashed on land, we're probably all going to die anyway, just as we would an ocean. But, but anyway, but it, either, in either case, you know what we had to do? We had to put our complete trust in the pilot and his capability to maneuver and fly that plane from our starting point to our destination. It was out of our hands. And, you know, that's what we need to do with the Lord. We need to put our complete trust in him. It's to put your trust in, your dependence upon. And it is continual. It's to take God at his word. The, the impact of your salvation is not just a moment thing. It should direct your thinking, your actions for the rest of your life. God in the person of the Holy Spirit indwells a child of God and bears witness and begins to work in your life to prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, Philippians 1, 6 says, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so it's a matter of trust. This, this righteousness is attained by trusting or putting our dependence in Him as our Lord and as our Savior. So this righteousness can be obtained. I want you to notice third thing, uh, the fourth thing. Notice the righteousness needed. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and they've come short or they've missed the mark or they failed to reach or attain to the holiness of God. Remember we talked about earlier about the four Roman nuns. There's none, uh, there's, there's, there's none righteous, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God, and none that doeth good. No, not one. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 7.20, There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Now, from our way of thinking, from humanity's point of view, there are some good men on the earth. But from God's perspective, there's not a good man that sinneth not. See, God's idea of what is good and ours are different. They're different. 
The pages of human history are not glory, but gory. Murder, war, disease caused by sin ravages many parts of the world, even to this day. Persecution in the name of religion, even under the guise of Christianity, has killed billions and billions of people. Starting with Nimrod at Babel, or Cain. Nimrod at Babel, Rome, and the Roman Catholic Church. Roman Nobody knows how many billions of people the Roman Catholic Church has killed. Genghis Khan. We often don't hear about him. But one, one historian said that it was believed that Persia had a 2.5 million population until Genghis Khan reduced it to 250,000. 250, Muslims in the Middle East, the Hindus of India, the communists of Russia and China and North Korea and Cuba, Hitler and Germany. And at present, parts of the Middle East, North Africa, Christians are persecuted and martyred in places we don't hear about, like North Korea. In fact, I was reading one statistic that is believed that there have been more martyrs in the 20th century than any century prior. We don't hear about it. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 gives a fitting description of man without God. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in, in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We are all by nature children of wrath. That's our nature. We're selfish. We're filling the desires of our flesh. And we are by nature the children of wrath. Your Proverbs says, Proverbs 29, 15, The rod and reproof get wisdom, but a child left to himself. If you leave a child to themselves, they will bring his mother Because it's his nature. He's by nature a child of wrath. You know, the liberals like to tell us that in everyone is a spark of divinity. You know, there may be a spark in every one of us, but it's a spark of a monster. Not of divinity. You know, there's some very deluded people in the world. Sad to say. A young American couple who took a year-long bike trip around the world believing that evil was a make-believe concept. Somebody may have seen this. Jay Austin and Lauren Jahagan, 29, quit their jobs last year in order to make their trip. Austin was a vegan who worked for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development and Lauren, a vegetarian who worked in the Georgetown University Admissions Office. Anyway, while in Morocco... Austin wrote, you watch the news, you read the papers, you, you're led to believe that the world is a big, scary place. People, the narrative goes, are not to be trusted. People are bad. 
People are evil. People are axe murderers and monsters and worse. I don't buy it. Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own. It's easier to dismiss an opinion as abhorrent than strive to understand it. Badness exists, sure, but even that's quite rare. By and large, humans are kind. Self-interested sometimes, myopic sometimes, but kind, generous and wonderful and kind. No greater revelation has come from our journey than this. Then, on July 29, 2018, as they were riding their bikes with two other cyclists in Tajikistan, five men exited their car and stabbed all the bicyclists to death. New York Times reported, a grainy, grainy cell phone clip recorded by the driver shows what happened next. The men's uh, sedan passes the cyclist, then makes a sharp U-turn. It doubles back and aims directly for the bikers, ramming into them and lurching over their fallen forms. And all four people were killed, Mr. Austin, Mr. G. Hogan, and the cyclists from Switzerland and the Netherlands. Two days later, the Islamic State released a video showing five men identified as attackers sitting before the ISIS flag. They face the camera and make a vow to kill the disbelievers. But evil is just, you know, a made-up misconception of most of us people. Just a few times before that, we saw him putting a thing on Facebook bashing Trump, too, about moving the, you know, you know it's too bad he got killed. But he was killed because he is disillusioned. He was deceived. No. Man is wicked. He's wicked. No, birth in every one of us is a spark of a beast or a monster. We say we love God. We mock those made in his image. You know, James says, with the tongue we bless God and curse men made in the similitude of God. You know, and without God, we are without hope. Natural man is enmity against God. And so we need the righteousness of God. It's needed. And then let's notice the fifth thing, the righteousness provided. Notice verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, for the forbearance of God. The righteousness has been provided. It says here in verse 24, being justified freely. Freely. The word freely means it's free. But it also means without a cause. Now think about that phrase for a minute. Without a cause. What cause would you have to go out of your way to pay the penalty for a murderer? For somebody that cursed your name? For somebody that offended you? You know, there is no cause for us justified. 
what did God have to gain? I mean, he's perfect. He's self-sufficient one. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. So what cause? See, we are justified without a cause. Look at chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. <clears throat> for scarcely for a righteous man will one day, yet peradventure will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, that means he manifested or demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the idea here is that while we're still the enemies, while we're the enemies of God, Christ died for us. You know, he on the, he's on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. To the ones who put him on the cross, we are justified without a cause. There's no logical reason why God would freely offer to us justification to declare us righteous to accept us in the beloved one we're not his best we were not his best friend or bosom buddies we were an enmity against him our sin is was detestable to him it's like that sour milk that makes you want to throw up that's what our sin is to him. In fact, Genesis 6, 6, you know, when it says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it says, and it grieved him at his heart. See, our sin grieves the heart of God. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't grieved that he made man. He was grieved because of man's wickedness which man chose. See, we're justified without a cause. You know, sometimes we think we deserve it. Not, we don't deserve anything God gives us. Any of the blessings God gives us. It's only because of his great love for us. And I want you to notice number six, righteousness declared. In verse 25 he says, which God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. See, the effect of Christ's sacrificial death was not just present, it was retroactive. See, God took into consideration those who died before the cross, who by faith trusted the coming of the Messiah. So this verse, might say, answers the question concerning those B.C. What about them? One commentator said this, quote, He came to Adam in the coats of skins. He came to Abel in the lamb. To Abraham in the substituted ram to Israel and the sacrifices of the tabernacle and the temple. You see, God revealed his righteousness to all those in the Old Testament 
after the lamb, the ram, and the sacrifices of the tabernacle and the temple. And there were people back then who understood. In fact, we'll, we're going to get into that next week about Abraham. Abraham understood. He by faith. In fact, Hebrews 11 says this. These all died. Speaking about those. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises. In other words, they, they hadn't yet seen the righteous one. Like we look back to it. They, they hadn't seen him yet. But having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them. And embraced them. See, they embraced what had not yet come. that they were strangers of pilgrims on the earth. See, they embraced what had not yet come. We embrace what has already come. You know, their salvation was by faith, as is ours. But theirs was prospective. Ours is retrospective. Theirs, they looked ahead to the cross as a prophecy. Something still in the future. While we look back upon it as history. It's already happened. You see, he says to declare his righteous from the mission of sins that are past. See, Christ paid for the sins of Abraham, and Isaac, Jacob, David, and Daniel, just as he paid for Roberts and Linda's, Howard's, Jacqueline. He was just revealed in the person of Christ. Then I want you to notice the last thing, number seven. <clears throat> Excuse me. Righteousness satisfied. Verses 25 and 26. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the mission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So this, this righteousness, or the righteous one, the righteousness of Christ, satisfied, you might say, satisfies God's holiness, or God's holy standard. Uh, <clears throat> again, verse 25 says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. That word propitiation means expiatory sacrifice. In other words, it's a sacrifice expresses of gratitude, thank offerings, our sacrifices for safety obtained. So, so, and it carries with it the idea of atonement. If you break the word atonement down, you, you could have three words at one with. At one with. At one meant. See, the sacrifice of Christ satisfies or it pleased. Now, you notice, he says here in, in, in this verse, uh, in the last part of that verse, for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The forbearance of God. You see, God is pleased with the Lord's sacrifice. In fact, it says in Isaiah 53.10, yet it pre pleased the Lord to bruise him. And... 
he hath put in a grave, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Now go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10. And remember, when he talks about the sins of remissions of the sins that are past through the forbearance, the, the word forbearance has the idea of you endure it. Kind of like we say, well, I just put up with it. You're forbearing it. That's forbearance. You put up with it. See, really, God put up with the lambs, the rams, and all those Old Testament sacrifices. They never did take away sin. It was only a temporary covering until Christ came. In fact, here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, it says, when he, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. In other words, I don't want any more sacrifices, and I don't want any more offerings, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will of God. So, of course, it was written about Christ in the Old Testament, and the, volume, the whole book writes about him, is about him, and he came to do God's will. And above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, again, here's speaking of Christ, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. So we're taking away the Old Testament covenant, we're going to the New Testament covenant. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, Jesus Christ was and is that perfect, sinless Lamb of God whose sacrifice was sufficient for all sin, past, present, and future. We don't have to offer any more offerings. In fact, to try and offer any more offerings or sacrifices is an affront or an offense to the offering that Christ paid for Jacob. First John 3, 5 says, you know, he was manifested to take away, take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Remember what John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. See, it satisfied God's standard of holiness. And it satisfied man's need of a payment for sin. Notice verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God is both just and the justifier. Now picture, if you will, a courtroom. And you are standing before the judge. And the law is read, thou shalt not. And the judge gives the sentence. Guilty as charged. And you're sentenced with a penalty. And then the judge leaves the throne, 
takes off his robe, comes down and stands beside you and pays your penalty. He pays your penalty. He can. He's the judge. You know, he pays your penalty so you can be freed. Delivered from the penalty. You still committed the offense. But he paid the penalty and you go free. Set free from the penalty. Your God is the judge. But God the Son removed his royal robe, became a man to die and pay your penalty. To pay your sin debt. So you and I may be justified. Now, the word justified doesn't mean we never sinned. It means we're declared righteous. We still committed the offense. We still deserved the death, but we're set free from it, and we can't be taken back to it anymore. Because the penalty has been justified, oh blessed thought. Sanctified, salvational. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. See, God is just in justifying sinners by the death of his son. By the way, in the process, God never sinned or compromised himself in justifying. He never changed his attributes. He still retained his holiness. And his law still hasn't changed. By the way, when you repent of your sin, you know what you're saying about the law? The law's right. The law's good. The problem isn't the law. The problem is Look at verse 31. It says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. There's that word God forbid he uses again. That means perish the thought. God forbid. Yea, we establish law. When I repent of my sin, when I admit that I am guilty, what I'm saying is the law is good, the law is right. I am not. And I am condemned justly so. The one who gave the law paid my penalty. See, when a person says, oh, I'm not that bad. I don't need to repent. You know what they're saying? The law's a problem. The law's a problem. I'm not the problem. That is. But when we admit that we're guilty, what we're really saying is the law's right. Really, in reality, we're simply saying, God is right. God is right. We don't void the law. 
we establish it. We establish it. So where is boasting then? What do you and I have to boast about? It's like somebody saying, you know, some people like to boast about their ancestors, but you might not dig too far. It's like digging potatoes. Every once in a while, you're going to find a rotten one. If you go back far enough, your ancestors, you're going to find a drunk. No. So where is boasting then? God, it was God that manifested his righteousness to us. You know, the question is, have you received it? Have you received it? Have you repented? It's not a feeling. It's through repentance. Yes, I agree what God says, and I declare myself guilty, and deservingly so. And I'm going to put my faith and trust. I'm going to accept the payment that was made. And submit my life to his. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to depend upon him for the rest of my life. So have you received the righteousness of God manifested in the person of Jesus Christ? Do you have that assurance of salvation? You can have. It's free. It's free to all those who will call upon him.